0: with more of Midday Matters, I'm your friendly host Darshan Maharaja. As you know, periodically we have a segment that focuses on markets and metals and we have our good friend Kevin who helps us understand what's happening. And actually his knowledge is pretty deep and uh, goes beyond the headlines that you read in the newspapers or get through your whatever TV channel that you are listening to. And today the big story is supposed to be about Silver. Hello, Kevin. How are you?
1: Good. I just uh, finished my road trip, so I can provide you with all the attention that you need.
0: (laughs) Great. Uh, Those long drives are beyond me, frankly, because uh, I grew up differently. If there was a long distance to drive, there had to be someone else to do the driving. This uh, self-driving thing is uh, still not in my system. So kudos to you for making a long journey. Thanks. Thanks. (laughs) It was fun yeah if you are used to it, now we are not used to this silver play. What's happening?
1: Well, it's funny that you uh, when you introduced me you you say it's markets and metals, and we do a lot of talking about the markets. We talk about the Dow a lot. we talk about uh, what's going on in the underlying economy, and we do talk a lot about uh, a lot about gold and how gold's been performing relative to stocks and uh, what it indicates as we move forward into, uh, an inflationary period, I believe, but seldom do we actually talk about silver. And, uh, it wasn't about three months ago when gold was about 10, 15% for the year, uh, looking really, really strong had just broken out. Uh, but silver was still flat. It was, it was still 5% uh, down for the year. Um, Beginning the year at around twenty one, it was sitting at about twenty bucks, maybe nineteen. So it it was down for the year, and uh, it was very, very obvious that uh, once you saw that breakout in gold, that a breakout in silver was was nearly months away. And uh, it was funny because after that interview, it's been rallying ever since. And from that time in late June to now, uh, we've seen over thirty percent gains in. Uh, silver. We're about 25 year to date, 26 year to date, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. And today we actually just passed gold for um, year to date gains. So silver is actually the leading gold now uh, year to date in terms of returns. So um, it's very, very interesting and it's very exciting to see what's actually going on in the silver market.
0: Yeah. And, you know, there is a natural relationship between gold and silver and has been historically. And you have spoken earlier about uh, what that uh, ratio between gold and silver typically is. Now, there is a little bit of movement and there are times of aberration as well. But 30 percent gain in uh, the last three months is uh, kind of mouthwatering, if you knew about it, uh, you know, at the start.
1: Yeah, well, that's why uh, people like me that uh, understand these markets and know how they react and It's just cyclical over time. Uh, Statistically, silver does trail gold about six months. You Mm -hmm. see gold move. You see silver move six months later. One peaks. The other peaks six months later. So uh, it was very obvious to see that it was only a matter of time before someone lets a fire under this metal. And it just happened. And the funny thing is, if you take a look at gold on a chart, it has broken out to new all-time highs in Canadian dollars. Um, sitting at 2060 something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you take a look at silver, it still hasn't even made back the, the, the losses that it had occurred uh, on its last downtrend five or six years ago. So it's still trying to make new all time highs. It actually uh, has a long way to go to make new all time highs because uh, in the last bull run, when gold was touching 2,000 an ounce, 1,900 an ounce, mm-hmm. uh, silver was at $50. Uh, now gold is over 2000 an ounce, and silver is still down below $25 Canadian. Uh, I think it just broke through 25 today, so uh, gold cannot move and silver double just to match what happened back in 2011. So I think what this means is this is... Beginning of a, a, a long bull market uh, that you're going to see silver uh, appreciate in terms of gold over time, uh, but you're also going to see gold rise too. So both metals are going to rise, just the price of silver is going to rise much faster. Uh, and anybody who is more risk adverse uh, should definitely be taking advantage of this. Um, now, getting, that's not to say that it's all blue skies moving forward. That you're going to see gains every single day. No, markets don't generally act like this. You can see violent corrections where the price of silver can drop one or two dollars in a day in a, in a in a very strong bull market. But you can also see the opposite, where you can make two, three, four dollars gains in a single day, uh, and you're talking five, six, seven percent gains. Uh, And that is coming. Uh, It's coming to the upside and it's coming to the downside. So anybody who uh, is a trader uh, should look for opportunity to play volatility because you're going to see a lot of volatility in in the metals moving forward. Uh, And I think the general trend is going to be to the upside with silver taking the crown.
0: Yeah, I guess I I had a next question, but you have answered it, which is about uh, the peak of the current trend. Uh, in silver, it looks like there is still a lot of room to go forward. Uh, it may fall back a little bit. But uh, how does this square with the quantitative easing and uh, fiat currency?
1: Well, I think it's just a representation of uh, silver starting to be uh, seen again as a monetary metal. I mean, for years, it was... It's an industrial metal. I mean, after oil, silver is the second most used commodity on the planet. I don't think a lot of people know this. And most silver is mined not through primary mining, but through secondary mining, through uh, base metals like coppers and zinc. And uh, when you mine for these metals, you just get silver. So there's not really a lot of silver out there. Uh, in terms of in investment supply, uh, most of it is diverted towards uh, industry because it is, it is vital for the uh, 21st century. Every single piece of electronic has silver in it, and it would not be able to operate. So uh, that being said, there's very, very little supply to invest in. Um, so central bankers, we know they've been buying gold for years. You know, you can pull up uh, charts of Russian, Chinese, uh, Indian, They've all been buying gold, but um, the big move really takes place when the average person takes a look at these markets and they say uh, maybe their paycheck isn't moving, it isn't getting as much as it used to be, or you know they really sense the cost of living, and, and, they, and they start to lose confidence in the underlying economy, and they move to safety. And those general two plays that we see in terms of safety are bonds and precious metals. Uh, but when the average person takes a look at the price of gold and be like, "Huh, it's you know two thousand dollars an ounce. That's kind of expensive for me. I can just buy a, a whole bunch of silver. You can get like, I don't know what the exact math is seventy five, eighty ounces of silver. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the ratio is about eighty five to one right now and falling." Um, So they can buy 80 ounces of silver and be like, that's much better. So when the average person actually sees this as an investment option, uh, as a hedge against a downside risk in the economy, Mm -hmm. um, that's when you're really going to see the price explode because there's a limited supply and a whole lot of demand and prices have nowhere to go but up.
0: But what does this mean in terms of uh, the share prices of the producers of gold and silver?
1: Oh, they're going much higher, but uh, again, when you're starting to buy into the mining sector, um, you have to be prepared. There's there's violent moves on both ends, and if you think buying the actual commodity is violent, buying uh, speculative stocks in the mining sector is basically two or three times more uh, risk, uh, risky, where you can see 10 15 20% moves in a single day, and... Uh, if people can weather the storm, that's probably a good way to, um, to have a decent return, but keep in mind that you don't always enter into a position all at one time and you don't put all your eggs in one basket. So, um, if you want to speculate in in the mining sector, um, you're probably going to get a good return. You can buy, uh, silver mining and, and get a decent return, but... Uh, you just be prepared. You could lose 10, 15 percent in a single day as this bull market really gets underway.
0: You know, another disturbing thought that I got when you were saying the, your earlier point was that uh, it is uh, turning into a situation where there is a better prospect other than, uh, you know, productive work it's better to park your money somewhere where there is going to be noticeable appreciation and one can secure one's financial future by those moves rather than by productive work. Now, that shifts the whole basis of the economy from being productive to what is usually called being smart. How do you see that?
1: Well, this is just, um, I guess, the implications or the unintended consequences a really poor <coughs> part of me, really poor uh, monetary policy over the last thirty or forty years. I mean, why would anybody take the risk and invest into the underlying economy mm-hmm. when you can uh, invest into asset prices and watch your paper wealth increase? And I think this is ultimately turning into be uh, a setup just like two thousand and eight. I get I'm just speculating here, but. Um, you blow up these asset bubbles, and then you transfer the wealth somewhere. You mean, like when when the economy declines and you see stocks falling, mm-hmm. uh, you see um, your portfolio falling, your four hundred one k or RSIs falling, hmm. uh, you're losing money, but. Somebody else is making money. I mean, when you lose money, it doesn't go to money heaven. It gets transferred somewhere. Yeah. So I feel that what this is ultimately setting up to is a mass transfer of wealth from the average person to the upper echelon of society. Uh, once that wealth transfer is completed, to take that new wealth and to actually buy um, physical hard money and uh, physical um, like farms and uh, manufacturing and I uh, mean, actually, things of wealth uh, and start to get out of the paper game because the next crisis that's coming is going to be uh, a currency crisis. And whoever owns the most amount of physical assets is ultimately going to be the winners. So this is just what we're seeing here. Um, and at, just as we've seen over and over again, it's always the uh, the average person that gets left holding the bag. Uh, so... The, the more that we can protect ourselves moving forward, mm-hmm. uh, I think, is the better. So, and I think silver is ultimately the best way to do that for the average person.
0: Yeah, but then if this is caused by excessive money printing, which is what it is, quantitative easing is just a euphemism, then it has to bounce back on the rate of return that you get on that currency as well, specifically in terms of uh, government bonds. How is that uh, looking right now?
1: Yeah, so what you're talking about is, uh, if I, ha- I understand correctly, is your real inter- uh, real return minus your, your inflation. Minus That's annual right. inflation, what is your real return? That's right. Um, personally, over the last five to six years, we've seen uh, gold uh, in Canadian dollars return, what, 7%. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's actually returned that much. I mean, once you factor in inflation, I think that uh, gold's actually maintained its purchasing power. It hasn't seen very many uh, um, uh, increases percentage up or down. It's pretty much been flat once you factor in actual inflation, because like we've talked about before, nobody really believes the 2%. Mm -hmm. so once you factor in real inflation, I think it's uh, it's it's held its own. Silver has been clobbered, but uh, the entire commodity sector has. And gold was acting as a monetary metal, or silver was acting as uh, industrial metal. All right. Um. But as we move into the next phase of this um, economic downturn, or whatever you want to call it, um, I think there's just going to be so much. Pay for wealth moving into physical assets, uh, that the only way to stop people from bidding up the prices even higher is to, uh, is higher prices. So, and higher prices are ultimately the cure to higher prices. So what you would see is um, quarter over quarter of double-digit gains, and a speculative bubble creates at the, uh, forms at the top. And then there's a major correction back to fair market value. It works on both sides. So um, right now, you're probably going to see uh, physical gold, physical silver move as more of a speculative asset uh, other than an actual hard asset, given the fact that it has been moving as a hard asset over the last seven years. It's done its job. It's maintained its purchasing power with inflation. Uh, but over the next seven years, you're, you're going to start to see uh, these metals, commodities, act as speculative assets. And once that occurs, you know, all bets are off. Once you start to see invest uh, institutional investment coming into this market um, where millions and billions of dollars can be dumped into uh, a, a single industry with a click of a button, that's when you're really going to see the price of uh, these assets explode higher. And if you take a look at how bubbles form and how they burst, usually the last 80% of uh, bubble's move is made in, in, in the final 20% of the time. Right. Um, so right now, we can officially say that gold has broken out because um, it, did, it, it took out its 2011 gains. So now we can start to see that this new bull market is going to start And once we see 20% gains or 30% gains in the price of gold, you're going to see 60, 70, 80% gains in the price of silver. And that's where most of the money is going to be made. So, uh, when you take a look at how these markets are going to move, just because the, 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 the amount of investment in physical silver is so, uh, low in comparison to gold, that prices are, are, are much more volatile. Um, so, that's why I basically feel that this is the place to be. Um, and if you want to take a look at if you want to increase your risk and um, expose yourself to more volatile moves but be rewarded for it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that's the place to be. but if you're looking for you know safety and security and Uh, Yes, there's going to be volatility, but long-term trend with not as much volatility, you're going to be looking at physical gold. So you just basically have to take a look at um, what you want back from your portfolio. Do you want to be more risky? Do you want to be more conservative? Um, And uh, you want to make sure that you don't put everything into one asset because um, violent moves can wipe you out.
0: Now, this ties into the uh, meeting that, Uh, Bank of Canada is going to have this week and I saw an article today in CBC written by Don Pittis so I have to take it seriously but he uh, advances an argument that uh, there will be no change made to the overnight interest rate um, by Bank of Canada. Uh, How do you see that?
1: Well, usually whatever these guys say, the opposite is true. So if he's saying there's going to be no change, then I basically am going to take that as there's going to definitely going to be a change, and it's going to happen real soon. Uh, because ultimately the Bank of Canada has no choice in the fact. They have to cut rates. And the reason they have to cut rates is because long-term bonds are paying uh, a lesser yield than short-term bonds. And... We just saw a yield curve inversion in the United States where the 10-year, as well as the 30-year, are now below 2%. The 10-year is below the two-year. So uh, the bond market in the United States is a mess, but it's it's much worse in Canada. And I'm not sure what the exact numbers were. I sent it to you earlier, but um, uh, the 30-year Canadian bond is uh, what, Darshan? Let us know what the two-year, the the 30-year, and the 10-year are. Uh, in terms of the
0: Canadian bonds, Yeah, actually, you know, one month is at 1.73%, and 10-year is at 1.13%, all the way through there is inversion, which means as you go out in the future, your interest rate drops, which is basically the opposite of what should be there. Then 20-year shows a little bit of an increase to 1.36, and then uh, 30-year at 1.40. But it's still lower than uh, the rate that you get up to one year. So. Yeah, the
1: overnight lending rate in, in Canada is 1.75. So mm-hmm. uh, what he, this, this guy, uh, Don, is saying that is that if we don't cut interest rates in two days, because I think the Bank of Canada meets this week, it's either today or tomorrow, right. uh, tomorrow or the next day, uh, if we don't cut rates by a quarter of a point, uh, this week, we're going to be cutting rates by 50 basis points next time we meet because uh, at a 50 basis point cut, you're just bringing yourself down to what the rest of the long-term bonds are saying, and they're generally going to be at 1.25%. Uh, so it's either a 25 basis point cut uh this week and another 25 basis point later in the year or no cut this week and uh a 50 basis point cut but regardless if it it comes tomorrow uh, next week next month uh it's going to happen and when it does uh just watch the value of the canadian dollar it's going to take a major hit uh and the dollar looks very close to breaking down in terms of the u.s dollar so canadian dollar down u.s dollar up um and it's going to be a rate cut that's going to send it lower.
0: Right. But if I'm trying to identify a silver lining in this, it is that our governments are borrowing so heavily that low interest rates mean a lower interest burden on the taxpayers. That's probably well, the only silver lining that I can think of.
1: It, it makes no sense. It means you're, you're basically being rewarded for more spending, and that's why... Uh, poor monetary policy coming from the Bank of Canada enables poor fiscal policy from the government. And it, it doesn't really matter what government is in, whether it's blue, red, or a combination of, uh, mm-hmm. of whatever you have out there, but mm-hmm. um, they're being rewarded for poor fiscal policy. And it seems that the more debt that they create, uh, the lower their interest rate is. So, and that's basically what's happening is artificial demand is being created in the government bond section, uh, sector that's driving the cost of bonds up and the value uh, and the interest on those bonds down so the more they spend the more they're going to be rewarded and that's why it's very obvious that it's only a matter of time for this rate cut cycle that could last um multiple years uh will end in us being in negative interest rates so um whether we see this happening next week next month it doesn't really matter and it's going to have to happen. And if it doesn't happen, you're going to see uh, a deflationary recession in Canada. And I don't think that the Bank of Canada wants that to happen. They want to protect us from falling prices with uh, excessive rising prices. And that's what the only, that's about the only thing they're going to be successful in doing. And when I hear people like Don come out and, and talk about these things, uh, it's just a, a, a contrarian, and. uh, uh indication for me that that things are going to actually happen in the opposite quite soon and I mean you don't have to look further than ben bernanke in 2007 when right. he stood out in front of the world and said that subprime is contained and that uh, there's no sign of a recession moving forward and nothing but blue skies and it wasn't six months later that we were in the worst economic recession since the great depression so um When you start to hear these people come out and when you start to hear people saying, oh, don't sell your investments and uh, if you stick for the long term and, um, you know, stick to your strategy. And when you start to hear all these things, um, they're basically cheerleading and they don't want you to sell because it's ultimately your wealth that. They're going to take advantage of because they're going to go uh, the the opposite side of the trade, and the institutional banks like the J.P. Morgans and, and the Goldman Sachs and the Citibanks and uh, whatever else you want to throw in there, uh, Citibank, TD Bank, they're going to be taking the opposite side of their trade. So of course they want you to be in as long as possible because <laughs> it's your wealth that they're going to be they're going to be taking when they transfer it from one uh, from one class to another and. So when I hear people like Don come out and and talk about these, uh, they can't lower interest rates. I mean, I just take it with a grain of salt or more like a truck full of (laughs) salt because they're basically either bastardly in their opinion or they're completely clueless uh, or or both. I I mean, dealer's choice.
0: Yeah. And touching briefly upon one of the points that you mentioned, um, interest rates that they are probably going to be negative at some point. The way I see it, given the rate of inflation or asset price inflation, which we wrongly think is our gain, uh, we are already in negative interest rate uh, regime right now.
1: Yeah, in in real terms, we are in negative interest rate. So, when you Factor in the, the actual rate of inflation into interest rates. We're in the negative, and you can even go one further and factor in bank fees. I mean, uh, how much bank fees does the average family pay uh, on a monthly basis? I mean, percentage-wise, is not a lot, but you know, thirty, forty, fifty dollars for multiple accounts it starts to add up, and that's just another way of uh, uh, of charging you or putting your money in your, into an account that's negative interest rates on, on, on a macro scheme, on, on, a, on the big picture. Um, so when you take a look at this, we're already being re, uh, rewarded with a uh, loss of purchasing power. And when the one question that people have to ask themselves is, so if there's a, a buyer for every seller and if there's a, a winner for every loser, uh, if we're losing in purchasing power, where is it going? and it's being transferred to the financial side of the monetary base right now, and it's been blowing bubbles uh, for years. Uh, but uh, history has shown when, when those bubbles reach a level that can, cannot be sustained by any means, and you see a violent change uh, in trend to the, to the opposite side, uh, all that wealth is going to go somewhere. And um, the way that I see it is it's going to be a transfer from the holders of currency— to uh, the issuers of currency. So, again, as we go through uh, full circle, back to how we started, the best way to protect yourself is to become your own central bank, uh, whole physical assets, to bet against this debt, and to, to ride it out, because this is going to probably take two, two, three, even four years to play out to its, its full cycle. And there's going to be violent days uh, on both ends. Uh, but... If you basically bet against this debt, become your own central bank, and hold hard assets, in the long run, you're going to be the one laughing while everybody else is holding the bag with paper obligations. And um, that that cannot be satisfied. It's impossible.
0: Yeah. Let me float a controversial idea on which I think we can end this, which is, uh, have commercial banks become issuers of currency?
1: Well, they don't really issue currency per se uh, in terms of M2 or base money. They issue currency in terms of credit. Uh, so when you borrow something, uh, when you buy something on your Visa card, you're ultimately creating currency. When when you go to take a loan out... Um, for, let's say a house or a car uh <laughs> the money that the bank lends you it never existed until you asked for it right and all they do is they collect a the spread between uh what they get it for which is nothing and what they sell it to you which is usually fairly high right um so Basically, that, 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 that's all they're doing. So a lot of the currency that has been created has been from increasing demand of debt, and that's government debt, that's government bonds, government spending, uh, that's personal debt, that's real estate, that, that's, that's all in. And the more people spend, the more currency is created because the more there is demand, and once there is demand, artificial supply comes online to fulfill that demand, but as you expand the monetary base, You're diluting the purchasing power. So, yes, supply is increasing, uh, but the actual purchasing power uh, of that supply is decreasing uh, because everything is constant. And uh, as you increase the the supply of something, it's worth less. Um, So the best way to to avoid this over the long run is to have a diversified portfolio Mm -hmm. um, and to hold hard assets as an insurance policy against a rainy day. And given its negative correlation, a solid 20% uh, of your full-on p- portfolio will be definitely enough to uh, where, to whether whatever is coming, whether it's uh, sustained inflation or, or deflation or, or a combination of both, uh, depending on which asset classes you're talking about. But um, I think that... Uh, there's definitely a lot of interesting times ahead and I look forward to doing more of these interviews as we move forward in time.
0: Sure, useful advice, Kevin. Thank you, as always. Very deep insights. Thank you for being with us today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: You're welcome. Uh, Folks, we will return to local issues, something that happened in Mississauga over the long weekend and is being discussed in all the media across the country. Coming up next. Stay tuned.